0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills podcast. We're in a five-week teaching series called How to Change Your Relationships, and we're learning that we change our relationships by changing ourselves. Thanks for joining us.
1: Good morning, everybody. Today, uh, we are, if you haven't been with us, finishing up a five-week series. We started after Easter called How to Change your relationships. And the big idea of this whole series, if you're following on your notes with me this morning, is we've been learning that the way we change our relationships is by changing ourselves. So in other words, we talked about how to change your husband's wives, right? And the whole idea is how do I change myself as a wife? So on for husbands, we talked about kids, we talked about friendships, and today we're moving into finishing this series with the most important relationship of all, our relationship with God. And so to do that, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible with you or your smartphone or whatever, to take it and turn to John chapter 3. John 3. We're going to look at one of the most familiar and famous phrases in the entire Bible. I think people who even aren't a part of the church recognize this phrase. We're going to talk about what it means to be born again. Now now, listen, the danger when we become so familiar with a phrase like this is it can lose its meaning. In fact, I think sometimes when we hear the word born again these days, we think of a certain brand of Christianity or a certain type of person. And truth be told, that kind of person isn't always painted in the nicest light. In fact, I just read one description of someone who describes themselves as born again as a Bible-thumping fundamentalist. Okay. But despite our familiarity and our possible negative connotations with this word, we need to know that this phrase right here is central to our relationship with God and ultimately to our lives. And so I want to look at the story where these famous words are spoken. It comes in John 3 with an encounter Jesus has with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And as we look at this encounter, if you're following on your notes, in John 3, Jesus explains how we can change our life with God, our relationship with God. So let's meet this man named Nicodemus together in John 3, verse 1. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. We're going to pause here because right away we learn some really important things about Nicodemus. First of all, we learn he's a Pharisee. And not just any Pharisee, he was one of the key Pharisees in the entire nation of Israel because he was also a member of what's called the Jewish Ruling Council, or the Sanhedrin is what it was called. Later, Jesus is going to call him the teacher of Israel. Like, this is a big-time guy Jesus is having a conversation with. Like, Pastor Jeff, big-time kind of guy. So listen, if you're following on your notes, Nicodemus was a Pharisee ruler and teacher of Israel. In the Jewish world, you can't get any bigger than this. Now, let me ask you a question. What does it mean that Nicodemus is a Pharisee? The most likely definition of the word Pharisee simply meant separated one. And many people trace the roots of the Pharisees all the way back to Daniel. You remember Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken from Israel and deported to Babylon as captives and they separated themselves. They refused to eat some of the food that was served to them, and they refused to bow down to the gods of Babylon. Now, you fast forward about 600 years to the time of this encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus, and you'll discover that the Pharisees were a group of very devout men who developed a comprehensive system of how a person could live separate from the world around them. You could call it religion. They developed a religion. And this religion, I think, started with good motives. They wanted to learn how they could devote themselves to following God, particularly the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, and they rightly believed. This was the perfect word of God. It contained everything that a man or woman would need to please God by the way they lived, unfortunately. The the Pharisees discovered that sometimes the law wasn't as specific as they wanted the law to be. And so they decided they're going to help God with the law. And what they did is they started compiling a number of rules and regulations into a book called the Mishnah. In other words, they would take something the law says, and then they would make their interpretation of it and add to the law. And they created this very large book. In fact, I'll give you an example of this. In Exodus 28 through 11, God gives the law. Hey, I want you to set aside the seventh day every week to rest your body, your mind, to not work anymore. That was in the law. That's something we should do. But that wasn't enough for the Pharisees. They wanted to know the right way to rest. And so they created rules about what one could do or could not do on the Sabbath day. I'll give you a real example. They decided that a man, you might need to draw water out of a well, but you cannot tie a rope to the end of a bucket. However, if you tie a rope to your wife's waist, then tie it to the bucket, you can draw water out of the well. I am not making this stuff up. So listen, by the time they were done with just this one law about the Sabbath, they had added 24 chapters in the Mishnah about what you could and could not do on this day. Their lives were dedicated to keeping these rules. This is all going somewhere, but if you're following on your notes, what I want you to see, no one rivaled the Pharisees in being religious. No one. The most religious group you could find at this time. And at the heart of it, again, if you're following on your notes, they tried to please God by devoting themselves to rules. And so listen, if you've ever read the Gospels, this is why they get so mad at Jesus. He's not keeping the rules, the Mishnah that they had written for them, especially when it came to this one on the Sabbath. I think it's also why today the Pharisees get such a bad rap in the church because if you know the rest of the story, you know in large part it was because of their efforts that Jesus is ended up being killed. But I just want to tell you, as human beings, especially for those of us who have grown up in the church, we're much more like the Pharisees than we really want to admit. I know I am. You see, human history, if it's shown us one thing about religion, it's that the default mode of human beings when it comes to how we view God, whoever your God may be, and our relationship with God, again, whoever that God is, always, always, always skews to this kind of understanding that the Pharisees had called religion. That's always where our heart is going to lead us. It is sometimes referred to this kind of religion as the great cosmic scale. Here's a picture of what I mean. Here's a scale. You see, what Nicodemus believed, what most of the world believes, there's this cosmic scale. And we all do bad things, right? Some of us do really bad things. Some of us do medium-sized bad things. And if you're like me, you just do itty-bitty bad things that God's not even really concerned about or worried about. But I'm not a bad person. We're not bad people. We're good people. And so in the course of our lives, we do some really good things. We try to do more good things than bad things. And so we hope at the end of it, when God looks at the cosmic scale of our lives, he said, the scale tips in your favor. You did more good than bad. Congratulations. Come on in. If you're following on your notes, we believe we change our relationship with God by being good. If you don't believe me, research has shown this has now become the American religion. Even Christians, even those in the church believe this idea of the cosmic scale. And here's what Nicodemus thought. I'm related to Abraham. Ding! That's one in my favor because Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, which is God's chosen people. Check this out too. I'm a Pharisee. Ding! Not just any Pharisee. I'm a ruler of the Pharisees. And not just a ruler, I'm the teacher, the teacher of the people of Israel. I get to teach them all this stuff about the law. Can we agree, friends, that if anybody tipped in favor of the good on the cosmic scale of good and bad, it would be Nicodemus. And yet, he's about to understand or discover something that he needed to know about God and the scale. Everything he's believed about it has been wrong. Look at verse 2. He came to Jesus at night. I always have found that a little interesting tidbit, right? Maybe he was embarrassed because of the other Pharisees to go talk to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. I love this because this is where most people are with Jesus today. Teacher, maybe even prophet. That's the majority of what the world thinks about Jesus. Like he's just one of many good religious leaders to follow. Nicodemus represents us when he says, look, I've been watching you. You're doing some pretty amazing stuff, like the water into wine thing. That was really cool. The feeding of the 5,000, how, how are you going to teach me how to do that? Teacher, prophet, I've come to you to ask you a question about who God is and how the scale works. So let's talk, but here's the problem. Jesus knows why he's there and what he really needs. He is not there to change his entire view of God. What Nicodemus wants is for Jesus to confirm what he already believes about the scale and how to get into the kingdom of God. And so almost mid-sentence, Jesus jumps right in and he speaks these famous words, which are on your notes. Can we read them out loud together? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Another way to translate born again is born from above. And so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, Nicodemus, enough small talk. I don't want to talk to you about religion. I'm not here to start a new religion. I'm going to go to the heart of why you're really here. Let me go to the question all humanity is asking. You're wondering about the kingdom of God and how you get into it. You're wondering about the cosmic scale and where I fit into that for you. You're wondering if I can add to your already prolific understanding of religion. So let me cut to the chase for you. Again, if you're on your notes, Jesus says, everything you think about religion is wrong. There is no scale. You don't work to earn God's love. You receive it as a gift just like birth. Again, if you're on your notes, unlike any other relationship we've talked about in this series, listen, we cannot change our relationship with God by changing ourselves. Have you understood that at some point in your life? Jesus tells Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again, unless you're born from above. You see, we can't, change ourselves by what we do. We need somebody to change us from the inside out. Rules simply can't change who we are. You know why? It's because there's something fundamentally wrong in our heart. All those little bad things or medium-sized bad things or big-time bad things that come out of our lives are all the result of something deeper going on in our hearts. If you're following on your notes, it's not just what we do, but who we are that must be changed. And that's why we can't change our relationship with God. Have you seen the Glade commercials uh, lately that have been on air? My favorite one, Glade is just like a spray that makes everything smell nice. She walks in, the mom walks into her teenage son's room. She's like, ugh, and then she sprays some Glade. And it's like paradise. Now now the, the problem is, this is what Jesus is saying religion is. It may look good or smell good on the outside. But listen, you're just covering up a deeper problem, a deeper smell. And that's why he uses the image of birth. What an image. Passing from one kind of life into another kind of life. It's a, it's a whole new ra- reality. Would you agree that birth isn't just a small change? It's a giant change. To be born again means We are completely transformed. We need a complete transformation. And listen, here's the key. Birth is not something you can do for yourself. You need somebody to do it for you. And similarly, in the kingdom of God, it's not something you can do to enter it. You need somebody to do something for you. Well, Nicodemus responds the same way I'd respond. "Uh, (laughs) How can a man be born when he is old? I mean, surely I can't enter into my mother's womb to be born again. Personally, I think Nicodemus is chuckling here going like, this guy's a little woo-hoo. Jesus answers more emphatically, verse five. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. I am not talking about physical things here, Nicodemus. I'm talking about spiritual things. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. What does that mean? It is in our flesh that we attempt to do good things, to impress others, to try to impress God. And all that does is create more fleshly pride, more fleshly misunderstanding. Jesus says, no, no, you need a whole new change. It is only the spirit who can give birth to your spirit. The word the Bible uses here is transform. We need to be transformed. It comes from the Greek word where we get our idea of metamorphosis. When do we use that? Does a caterpillar just become a better caterpillar by trying? Like really hard? No, he or she. I don't even know if they have sexes are transformed. They have to become something entirely new, and that's what must happen to us. Jesus says in verse 7 you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. Why should Nicodemus not be surprised? Because he of all people knew the scriptures better than anyone else in Israel. And so it's almost like Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, don't you remember what God says in Isaiah 44.3? I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Or what about Joel 2.28? I will pour out my spirit on all people. Or how about this one, which is quoted again and again, Ezekiel 36? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Why is it surprising to you that I'm telling you, you must be born again. Everything in scripture has pointed to this. And then Jesus goes on to give two illustrations to help us understand the difference between religion and rebirth. Verse eight, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. In other words, just like we can't control the wind, we cannot control God with religion. If you're following, you cannot change God. Only God can change you. There's only new birth. And just like the wind, you may not know exactly how it works or where it's going, but you can see the effect it has on a person's life. Nicodemus probably didn't like this conversation and where it was headed right now because he wanted to be able to explain how life works. He's comfortable in his own system, and let's just be honest together. That's what religion does for us. It makes us comfortable because I know, well, I just did a good thing. So therefore, God owes me in the scale to tip it up a little bit. I can control what God is doing in my life. That's why we love religion. And I'm sure Nicodemus at this point is tempted to say, I'm out of here. This guy is ruining my whole concept of God. This isn't even making sense to me, but to his credit, he stays with it. And I hope that's what some of you might do this morning as well. He pauses and realizes, maybe there is something I don't know. Maybe I've been wrong. So he asks in verse 9, how can this be? He's baffled. He's disturbed. I've committed my life to following the law, to the tiniest of details. You're trying to throw all my understanding of religion out the window. Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Then Jesus gives his second illustration. This is one he could relate to. Look at verses 11 through 15. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Who's the we there? Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Right now, Nicodemus is like, oh good, I know this story, because I know the Bible. He's talking about Numbers chapter 21, where the Israelites had just experienced this incredible miracle of being redeemed from slavery from Egypt. You remember this, the 10 plagues? The parting of the Red Sea, the miraculous deliverance of manna, the pillar of cloud and the fire by night to lead and guide them. And yet, what do we learn about them? They grumble, they complain, they disobey. And so in Numbers 21, God sends some venomous snakes in their midst to teach them a lesson. And the people cry out to God. And so God tells Moses, okay, here's what you can do. I want you to build a bronze serpent, and I want you to put it up on a pole. And so when these snakes are biting people, all they have to do is look up at that bronze snake on that pole, and they will be healed. And Jesus now uses this story to describe himself. Nicodemus, the whole Bible points to me. And just like that bronze medal became a serpent, I, the son of God, I, God in the flesh, became a human being. And just like that serpent was lifted on that pole, one day I will be lifted up on a similar pole. And all who look to me will be released from the venom and poison of sin and death. The scale will be dead forever. Nicodemus, let me make this clear. What I've come to tell you is the days of the scale are over. Because I'm here. The scale never worked to begin with. You simply can't get in the kingdom of God by being good and obeying the law. You get into the kingdom of God by simply looking to me and believing that I did for you what you could never do in your own power. Jesus then continues with the most famous verse in the Bible giving us the solution to the scale problem, the religion problem. How do I receive this new birth? Jesus tells us emphatically, would you read verses 16 and 17 on your notes there with me? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I think we just sang a song about that. What's the solution to the scale problem, to the religious problem? I'm gonna make this very complicated for you. Believe. Believe that Jesus is the only one who can change you. Believe that is exactly why Jesus came. Not be better tomorrow not commit to attend church more, not read your Bible more, not do more good. Jesus says, if you're on your notes, being changed is a gift received only by faith. You do not receive the kingdom of God because of what you do. You only find it by believing that what he did for you. You don't change your relationship with God, friends, with your works, your goodness. You change it by looking to his son, Paul makes this as clear as possible in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Can we also read that together on our notes there? It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. What do you have to do to receive a gift? Work for it, earn it. If you do, then it's not a gift. You simply receive it. And that's what he wants for every human being in this world. This is what makes biblical Christianity different from any other religious system in this world. Salvation is not based on what you do. It is based on what Christ did for you. Eternal life is not earned, praise God. It is given as a gift for us simply to receive by faith. Now, to be clear, belief doesn't just mean mentally agreeing to something. Yeah, I think Jesus is the Savior. That's cool. I'll give you a good illustration. Think about a chair. You can look at a chair and believe it was made of materials strong enough to support your weight. You can believe it was assembled correctly, although if it's from IKEA, you never know. But that is not biblical belief. Biblical belief is when you actually sit in that chair, relying on that chair to hold your weight off the ground. And if you're following, to believe means trusting only Jesus can change you. I hope you're paying attention to the people who just received their new birth and the questions we ask every person who's gonna be baptized. They're all about belief. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? In other words, he is God in the flesh, the one God sent to destroy the scale forever. Do you believe that he is your own personal savior from sin and death? In other words, you're done with your good works. You're done with religion. You're done trying to prove yourself to God and to others. And do you believe he is Lord, that he is worthy enough for us to follow him and obey him in our life? To Nicodemus, a man who spent his whole life honing his religious skills, fulfilling every perceived perception of goodness and righteousness, this news right here could either have come as a relief or the worst thing he'd ever heard in his life. Why? Well, I can relate to him. Earlier in my life, my form of Christianity was exactly like his was. I was a really good kid, a really good boy, a really good young man. I did everything right. And you know what? I was depressed because I recognized I also did bad things. And I never knew, did I do enough good things in God's eyes or did I do too many bad things? And so I lived constantly in this tension of, am I good enough? The good thing is, the cool thing is, if you've read the Gospels, we know the rest of the story. Did you know one day Nicodemus is meeting with all those other religious leaders, you know, all the other Pharisees, the, the rulers of the nation in Israel, and they decide it's time to get rid of Jesus. He's ruining our system of religion. He's causing all these problems. He's saying there's no such thing as the scale. He must die. But would you believe right in the midst of that powerful group, Nicodemus stands up and defends Jesus and says, should we condemn someone we haven't even convicted in trial? That's bold. They shut him down. And eventually they do get rid of Jesus. And one day, Jesus is lifted up on that wooden pole, just like that bronze serpent. They take him, his body down, and guess who shows up to take care of the body of Jesus? One of the people is Nicodemus. Why would he do that? How do you think? Do you think it's possible he finally came to the conclusion that his understanding of religion is wrong? And he had faith in the gift Jesus offered to him, and he was born again. That's what I think. What about you? Have you been born again? I'm not asking if you were born into a Christian family. I'm not asking if you regularly attend church. I'm not asking if you tithe. I'm not asking if you read your Bible. I'm not asking if you pray. I'm not asking if you think your good outweighs your bad in life. I'm not even asking you if you've given intellectual assent to the idea that Jesus might be Savior. What I'm asking you today, if you're following on your notes, is have I really received Christ's gift and been born again? Friends, there's nothing more or less complicated, excuse me, than belief. Just listen to this. There's nothing to achieve. There's no quest to complete, no challenge to overcome, no method to master, no merit to earn. You only simply must trust the one who loves you, that he came to earth, gave up his life for you so that you may live for eternity. This is how uncomplicated receiving this gift is. Look at Acts 2, 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Some of you in this room can remember that day, that moment right there, right? And it overwhelmed you. Some of you, it was a process. You had heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. You're reading the Bible. You go to church. You're praying all the time. And then all of a sudden, boom, it just makes sense. The scale doesn't work. I must simply receive what Jesus did for me, the gift he gives me by faith. That's my story. I remember where I was. I was in my parents' bedroom reading a book about being able to call God Abba. And boom, I ditched the scale. And I was born again. Some of you here are where Nicodemus is. You're just considering. You've heard it. You're not sure. My challenge to you this morning is don't run away from this. Don't drudge up all the excuses you've learned about Christianity since you were in college and your English professor said this or that. Don't let all the religious people, including religious Christians out there, ruin your view of Jesus. Consider the truth we've heard today and say, I don't understand it, but I'm willing to look at it. In fact, let me just poke you a little bit. I want you to question the system of the scale. This is the hallmark of every religion, including many forms, sadly, of Christianity we see today. I'm gonna poke some holes in it and tell you it's just flawed. Listen, the idea that there's a good God somewhere and that if I'm good enough, enough, I'll go to heaven one day has holes. I mean, number one, who has the right list of the good things we're supposed to do to go to heaven? Where do you find that? How much good outweighs your bad? Where does, that, where does that end up? What's the cutoff between being good and bad? Who's good anyway? Is Mother Teresa good? Because if that's the goodness scale, <laughs> I'm nowhere near that. I can't be good enough like that. You know what I need is I need a new heart. And that's what Jesus gives. Some of you have been considering this for a long time. I'm going to give you a chance today to receive this gift to be born again. Can you imagine you've been coming to church for weeks, years even maybe, maybe your whole life, or maybe today is the first time you've ever heard this. Have you gotten this clear? It's not about religion. That's not why we're gathered here. That's not why we sing. It's not why we worship. It's not why we read the Bible. We're here for a person, and his name is Jesus. So I want to give anybody who needs to know that they want to be born again the chance to do that. You can get rid of the scale forever right here, right now, if you know that the Spirit of God is moving just like that wind. Then I want to invite you to bow your head right now. All of us, let's do that. I want to be clear. Praying these words does not make you a follower of Jesus. It is, however, an expression of the faith you're putting into him. So if you want to pray with me these words, I invite you to follow. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. And I believe Jesus is my Savior. I believe he came to be my Savior. I'm placing all of my trust in him and what he did on the cross for me, that that was the full payment of my sin. I'm not trusting in my background. I'm not trusting in my efforts. I'm not trusting in my church membership, my baptism, the communion I take. I'm not trusting in the money I give for good causes. I'm not trusting in any of my good works anymore. Today, I'm giving up the scale. I repent or turn from my sin of trying to control you with religion. Instead, I put my foot in the sand today and I receive the gift you have given me. I put all of my faith in who Jesus is and what he did on my behalf. Receive me into your family as you promise. Give me, please, the gift of eternal life. Though I know I will still do wrong, give me the faith to believe I have been born again and nothing can ever separate me from the love of God again. Fill me now with your spirit. Help me to follow you pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Now, listen, before you open your eyes or you look up, we don't do this all the time, but I do think there's some times when we just need to take a stand like Nicodemus did. So if you'd just like to raise your hand right now, if you received Jesus today, the gift of him, I'd love to see you. Part of the reason we do this so that we can connect you to our family, to our church. We can't follow Jesus alone. So if you'd like, or you have received the gift today, we would love to know that. So I just wanna give you a moment. If you received that gift today, let me know. Amen. God for the rest of us we think back to the day we were born again what a gift thank you Jesus forgive us when we go back to the scale help us to live today a faith of abundance of joy, of meaning of fellowship we pray this together in Jesus name Amen hey, right now we get to celebrate the exact thing we talked about today. We get to celebrate communion where we remember that Jesus laid down his body and he laid down his life on that cross. And he said, come to me, all you who are weary. Religion is weary. And I will give you rest. If you received the gift of salvation today. This is an awesome chance for you. And I just opened the blood first to celebrate Jesus' gift to you. So I'm gonna get, excuse me. I thought about turning that upside down. I realized probably not the best idea. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat this, remember me. Same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Religion is dead, but I am alive. Every time you drink this, remember me." Would like all of us to stand right now? You would I'll remind you of a few things uh, if you want to get connected as a part of our church, you want to do life together with us? We have a connect center as you walk out these doors, just make a little U turn. Uh, if you raise your hand today, I'd love to talk to you after the service. We'll have members of our prayer team uh, down front as well. We've had somebody in our church family pray for us every week in this series, and we thought what an awesome way to finish this whole thing. So, as we stand. Uh, let's join in prayer with Eric and Terry Woolbright.
0: Good morning. We're Eric and Terry Wolbright. It's our privilege and honor to pray with you this morning. Let us pray.
2: Heavenly Father, we praise you today. There's truly no one like you. Today we are reminded again that you so loved that you took action to bring us near to you, removing every obstacle that could keep us from you. We want to thank you for forgiving our sins and for your continual presence in each of our lives. We thank you for reaching down, meeting each of us in our brokenness and poverty of soul, and giving us, us abundant life and purpose. We are so grateful your hand is always, always moved by your love for us. We confess our propensity to seek our own pleasures more than your concerns, We are continually at risk of losing our first love for You, and we ask for Your grace and mercy as we continue to be transformed into Your likeness. Draw us near as we profess our desperate need for You and our desire to follow You. As we confess Jesus as our Lord, Father, pour out Your Spirit afresh on us today, that we can walk in a manner worthy of You that pleases You in our actions and reactions. May we never quench your spirit as we learn to live and love as you do.
0: Heavenly Father, today we celebrate with those who've chosen to take another step of faith and follow you in baptism. We lift them up to you. We ask you to guard their hearts and open their minds to understand you and believe you love them. We ask that you keep them from falling away and protect them from the evil one. We thank you for the work you have done in their lives thus far and for the work that we know you will be faithful to complete. Show us how to encourage them in their faith. Lord, we ask that today's baptisms remind us of our own commitment to you. We recommit this day to follow you in obedience to your will and not our own. We pray for those of us who've already are a part of your body and we desire to be your church and your body. Empower us this day to be ambassadors of your eternal administration as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you. Compel us to seek you with our whole hearts and compel us to love others with your unprecedented love. Lord, we desire at Cherry Hills to be people of your kingdom who have taken up our crosses daily and to serve people like you came to serve and to fulfill your great commandment to love one another. We pray for unity and pray we will be salt and light to our community and our world by being faithful stewards of the gospel message. Thank you for making us your bride. In Jesus' empowering and sustaining name we ask this. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillschurch.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.